There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome in to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show here on the Inside STL Podcast Network, live on podcast from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. I am your host, Tim McKernan, alongside executive producer John Seymour and videographer Nick Gale. And today for you, an interview that Missouri fans and non-Missouri fans will enjoy as we sit with the voice of the Missouri Tigers Mike Kelly. And so often I get emails from people, whether it be in high school or in their early 20s in college, wondering, you know, how, how do I get into the broadcasting business? And after I tell them not to do it, I then give them uh, my perspective on advice. But one of the things that I would tell everybody is there really is a great amount of just luck that comes into it. And Mike Kelly tells his story of how a chance meeting with a St. Louis broadcaster led to his career. It's kind of open and shut. Now, that's not to say, of course, that he's not talented. I mean, that voice is distinct, and my gosh, you can't picture a Missouri highlight without hearing Mike Kelly's voice. But you'll hear how it came so close to not happening, and then how the process went from this chance meeting to eventually him being on the call of both Missouri basketball and Missouri football. So not only will we hear about Mike's career, but uh, memories of Norm Stewart, Larry Smith, uh, reasons Gary Pinkle really deserves credit for what Mike says is not accepting the word no. And unfortunately, especially if you're a Missouri fan, you know this, uh, being a Missouri fan comes with quite a bit of heartache because of the inordinate amount of bizarre ways in which the Tigers have lost over the last 27, 28 years, if you want to go back uh, to the fifth down game. So to get the perspective, the historic perspective of Mike Kelly, who was involved with so much of Missouri athletics over the last three decades, is just was just fun for me to, to sit and listen to. Also, I thought um, his opinion on what took place with the 2015 hunger strike uh, was really, um, really eye-opening. And uh, I think that's something that you will uh, also find to be a, uh, a perspective that perhaps you haven't heard people with, uh, with Mike's credibility, uh, voice. And so, uh, I, I think that's something that I'm anxious to hear people's opinion on. And you always are welcome to email me, T McKernan at insidestl.com. We also talk about Barry Odom's tenure, uh, and in particular the speech following the Auburn game that many people pointed to 
as being the turning point for that season, although they would go on to lose to Kentucky and Georgia following that speech. They did go on the run before losing in the Texas Bowl. And then also his admiration for Conzo Martin, uh, granted very early in his tenure, but for the way with which Conzo Martin carries himself, treats people. Uh, And, of course, we look back on what has been a rough period for Missouri basketball uh, with the Quinn Snyder, Mike Anderson, Frank Haith, and then Kim Anderson eras. So all of that is in there. Settle in and enjoy and make sure of this. If you enjoy these interviews on the Inside STL Podcast Network, whether it be my show or whether it be Jim Hayes' show, the Cat Chat, with so many Cardinal representatives, please support our sponsors. It's the name of the game. And without it, candidly, the thing's not going to exist. So if you are enjoying all of these interviews on the Inside STL Podcast Network and the questions from the audience with me and Plowboy and Iggy that come out every Thursday, uh, please support our sponsors. And in particular, the HomeLoanExpert.com, the sponsor of our studios, I want to make sure you are aware that if you are buying a home or if you are refinancing a home, you do business with Ryan Kelly. Online at thehomeloanexpert.com. My family has done business with Ryan, and I don't hesitate to recommend Ryan Kelly and thehomeloanexpert.com to those of you who are considering buying a home or refinancing. Home values have not been higher in recent years, and this is a time to take advantage of that. Refinance, save money, and you can do it right there, right on the front page of thehomeloanexpert.com. Calculate it right there. Enter in the numbers, and you will see how much money Ryan Kelly and his incredible staff can save you at thehomeloanexpert.com. We're also grateful for the support of the James Carlton Agency, a State Farm Insurance Agent right here in St. Louis. All about the community is James Carlton. And if your insurance costs you a leg and an arm, make sure that you do business with James Carlton State Farm. He prides himself on his involvement in the St. Louis community, and he is a local guy. When you see these commercials for advertisers with insurance all over the country, they're not in St. Louis, James Carlton. He is with an office right there in downtown Webster Groves. He can save you money, plus he's invested in the St. Louis community. So with that said, if you are looking for somebody to handle your insurance, I would like to recommend James Carlton, the James Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. James Carlton, if you're in front of your computer while you're listening to this, go to carltoninsurance.net right now and just get a quote to see what's the good word. Ask yourself a question. What's my insurance company doing for me? Then go check them out on Google and Facebook and see what they're doing for others in the community. Check out James Carlton State Farm, carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs you a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. We have Triad Bank as sponsors. We have Gateway Buick GMC as sponsors. And, of course, thehomeloanexpert.com and also James Carlton James Carlton State Farm. Please support our sponsors because all of these interviews are made possible through our sponsors and we enjoy bringing them to you. So without further ado, here he is, the voice of the Missouri Tigers, Mike Kelly. So I didn't know the backstory. I obviously want to talk about all kinds of Missouri stuff, but I didn't realize how you got into broadcasting. And there's all these, it seems to me anyway, there's all these defining moments of chance that became moments of truth, such as you're working at the Chicago Bears camp in 85 and meet Jim Holder. Accurate? Yeah, it was actually uh, at the Jumers Castle Lodge. 
Wow. In Urbana, Illinois. I feel like you're about to do a spot for the Joomers Castle. I feel like you could do a great spot, too. Live in downtown <laughs> Urbana, <laughs> Illinois. Um, the Bears were practicing for the Super Bowl. The University of Illinois at the time was one of the few stadiums in the Midwest that had a had an air bubble over the top of Memorial Stadium. So the Bears, prior to playing in the Super Bowl, came to Champaign for an entire week to practice. I mean, talk about a great opportunity for a young guy that's working at WDWS Radio in Champaign, Illinois. And by the way, when you said that, you had to say W and pause DWS oh, because wow. the owner of the station named the station in honor of her father, David W. Stevick, who was the founder of the Champaign News Gazette. So you were taught when you took a job there, W, pause, DWS. So Bears come to town and having grown up across the river in Dupo and my father, every time he would pick me up from, you know, sporting events or practice or whatever, KMOX was always on. So the voices and how those voices sounded became ingrained in my memory and uh, the Bears are doing a news conference after a practice at Joomers, and I hear this big, booming voice from across the room ask a question, and I said to myself, that's Jim Holder from KMOX. So afterwards, I walked over, and I introduced him. I introduced myself, and I said, Jim, I'm Mike Kelly. I grew up in Dupo. I want to work at KMOX. And you know Jim, so oh. you can imagine, oh, yeah. well, uh, big boy, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, great to meet you. Uh. And uh, he said, here's the deal. How often do you get to town? I said, I come in, you know, several times a year. My parents are still alive, so I'll come into town quite a bit. He says, the next time you come to St. Louis, let me know. And he said, I'll bring you to the radio station, introduce you to some folks, and we see what happens. Um, and, and, and Jim is, is such an important part of my success in my career because had it not been for that small encounter, none of this probably ever happens. And, and, and here's the reason why. In the spring, I go to St. Louis to see my folks, Dupo actually, to be accurate. Called Jim, said, I'm going to be in town. He says, well, come over. It was like midweek, something like that. He says, um, I'll take you around the tour of the station. So we get there, and he introduces me to Rob Silverstein, who at the time was running the sports offices at KMOX. And Rob went on to do great things like produce, um, I think, Entertainment Tonight and a few other shows. So he had a mm. terrific career. Um I think he was a guy that maybe landed at the station because of his connection with Bob. Um, me with Jim, me with Rob, and Rob says this. He says, Mike, we've got nothing right now. He says, but do me a favor. I want you to consider doing this. Go back to Champaign, Illinois, and become our correspondent on Illinois sports. When things happen, pick up the phone and call us. Send us audio previewing games. Do voicers anything happens breaking news call us and let us know and so I went back and I did that for two and a half years and didn't ask for a dime over the course of that time and what that did for me Tim as a young broadcaster is it gave me the opportunity to have my work critiqued by one of the best radio stations in America while at the same time letting them know my progress along the way. Mm -hmm. So when the football Cardinals decided to leave and go to Phoenix, that created a couple of openings in the sports department because Nancy Drew was married to Larry Wilson. 
And as I remember, and this could be this could be wrong, but Bob Mayhall had some connection where he was leaving at the same time. May not be connected directly to the team, but he was leaving at the same time. So there were two openings that were created. And I got a call from Ron Jacober, and he said, would you like to come in and audition? And I said, yes. And so I... And this is for a sports open line type of position? This is just for a position in sports. Okay. Yeah, there, there was what exactly the details of the job was going to be were not determined at the time. Didn't matter to you. So I came in on a weekend, and I auditioned. I did a sports open line. It was a Saturday night. Uh, did sportscast after a Billikens basketball game. I remember listening to Bob Ramsey doing the Bills at that point in time. Um did a couple of things, went back, and on that Sunday after doing Sports Open Line Sunday evening, driving back, uh, I got back to Champaign and I called Holder again. And I said, okay, what do I have to do to get in front of the others that have auditioned? And, you know, again, back to Jimmy Holder and the influence on my life. Well, big boy, <laughs> you got to get a hold of Highland. 314-444-3201. That's but an you, intimidating one to call. Yeah, but you better get a hold of him. Before 6 a.m. Because once he goes to Mass at the old cathedral and comes back and starts working on CBS business, you're never going to get him during the day. So I thought, okay, what's the best way to go about this? And again, you know, we've all seen the stories. I mean, Bob Green, the former uh, columnist at the Chicago Tribune, wrote probably the best Robert Highland uh, story calling him the classic workaholic. And, you know, the stories are legendary of him showing up at the at KMOX at 11 p.m. at night or just after midnight. I mean, Costas tells the story of having to wait outside the offices, you know, from 11 until like 2 o'clock in the morning to finally get in to see him. He was so busy with all of his civic duties that at, that occupied his time in those early morning hours. He would go to Mass and then he'd come back and dive into KMOX business. The amazing thing was is that you'd be doing sports open line in the, you know, like the eight o'clock hour and the phone would ring, the hot, hotline would ring, and it'd be Robert Hyland. You're like, Jesus, does the man ever sleep for goodness <laughs> sakes? Um, but anyway, so I made the decision that I was, this was, this was in April, right? So uh, I made the decision that I was going to set my alarm every Friday for 4.15, and at 4.30 in the morning, I would start dialing every Friday, 314-444-3201. And the conversations, you, you, you used the word intimidating. First one went something like this, and I think it's pretty accurate. <laughs> Robert Hyland. Mr. Hyland, Mike Kelly calling from Champaign, Illinois. I just want to tell you how interested I am in the position in the sports department at KMOX. We're still looking click no way. that was it and you think to yourself well was that a good decision or a bad decision right and so then i just press forward next week same thing next week same thing this continued until you know this was early april into may finally in in in, in early june he would pick up the phone at 4 30 on the friday morning and he would say michael how are you <laughs> and I thought to myself, there was no caller ID for the record. We're moving, no caller ID at the time. Uh, uh, we were moving in the right direction at that point in time. And so then eventually I remember uh, was sometime in maybe July, Ron called and said, would you like to join the sports department? And uh, it, was, it was 1988. And it was a, it, August of 1988. I started. Uh, I got married uh, August the 20th of 1988, so I started the first week in August and then was given uh, a week of vacation to get married and have a honeymoon with my wife, and then uh, 
you know, we made the transition to St. Louis and uh, the rest is history. But the, without question, I appreciate you bringing it up because I don't say to Jim Holder enough how thankful Mike Kelly is for the role that he played in me getting an opportunity to eventually make it to the city to work. Wow. Isn't it amazing you look back on how yeah. what happens if you don't introduce yourself to him? What well, direction does it go? Yeah, and, 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 I, yeah and I'm sorry, I just uh, totally interrupted you, but Here's the deal, and I, I speak to a lot of kids, and I've got three children, my, mm-hmm. ch- three girls of my own, and I tell them the same thing. Every conversation that you have in life is a networking opportunity. You don't know where that conversation is going to take you. It may go nowhere. Could lead to maybe a job opportunity at some point in time, mm-hmm. but every conversation is a networking opportunity. And, and, and it amazes me when you see, and this is just a, I'm going to get on a high horse for a moment, but it amazes me when you see a group of kids that get together and they go have lunch together. And and, and what do they do when they're sitting there having lunch? Well, in this day and age, they're doing this. Imagine what we can learn from one another if we just put down our phones and talk to one another. I mean, it's just a kind of a simple premise, I think. But anyway, yeah, Jim Holder, uh, huge role in my life. Um, Love the man dearly. Uh, Appreciated the time that we had together at KMOX and um, always enjoy hearing from him. One of the best voices going. Oh, but yeah. at the same time, you, you'd be on Mount Rushmore of Missouri sports voices with Jim Holder. You would be. I mean, how would you not be? Your voice, Jim Holder, i, I got to think yeah, of others. Well, Jack Buck, if we're going uh, yeah. all time. You know, it's weird, and, and I don't know how you, if you've ever really gotten into this, but um, I've always hated the way that my voice sounds. I hear, I'm curious if you hear this, but your voice is more distinct than mine. Because, oh, yeah, you have a voice for radio, as if... Like, I talk this way because yeah. I do radio. This is just how I talk. Right. That's just how you talk, exactly. right? It would be yeah. so awful if we were talking intentionally to sound like broadcast. Right, and the other thing, too, is when people come up to you that haven't met you before and they recognize your voice and say something to the effect of, you're taller than I thought you would be. Now, I've never heard that. You, you know, might be surprised you're, to hear that. You're, you're, <laughs> you're, 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 it's, just, it's just weird references <laughs> like that. But, you know, this this business is so, it's so subjective. And, you know, at the end of the day... To be successful, you know, among the things that you have to have is you have to have somebody that likes the way that you sound. Yeah. Plain and simple. Simple as that. You know, simple in, as that. In, 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 really the other, in, in my other, you know, as, as you know, I, I work full-time in the insurance industry now and have for the last 10 years, and there are tangible numbers that reflect success, right? Your sales numbers, building your book of business, servicing client clients. Um, but in radio... And I would think probably in TV, too, it's a matter of how you look. But in radio, it's a matter of somebody's got to like the way you sound. Yep. And as, in, as weird as maybe our voices sound to each other, um, I've been really blessed in that regard, you know, for some reason. And another, I, I call them sliding doors moment. It's in reference to a very random late 1990s film where the great Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> you, are you familiar with this film? I Gwyneth Paltrow. Was trying to get on a train. She misses the train, and then her life takes one direction. And then they also show what her life would have been like had she gotten on the train. Hence the sliding doors yes, of the subway. Yeah, it's actually not a bad movie. Yeah. It's a terrible reference. The point is this, though: you are hosting Tiger Talk, and the assistant AD Joe Castiglione <laughs> was answering phone calls. Was answering phone calls. <laughs> what a gig! Are you sure he wasn't interning? But he was, he was your call screener, right. and he liked the way you sounded, right. and then that led yeah. to you becoming the voice of the Missouri Tigers. Is this true? Yeah, well, the interesting thing is is that a um, couple of things to that. I'm at KMOX one morning. Highland walks in, 
And Mr. Highland says, hey, they've got this thing at Mizzou called Tiger Talk. This is prior to the 1989 football season. They've got this thing called Tiger Talk. You're off on Mondays and Tuesdays. Bill Wilkerson doesn't want to drive to Columbia on Mondays <laughs> to host the show. Oh Would you like to do that? You're young. you got a couple of, uh, yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to do that. And it, that was before I had kids, so pardon the reference there. But So I started doing that. That's, that's how it started with, with Bob Stull's first show. Um, and Joe was the, you know, the assistant AD at the time, Joe and I developed a relationship. Joe knew that I had played college basketball, um, you know, at Belvillary college now SWIC. Um, and so he kind of knew that I understood the game a little bit. Um, Rod Kelly, who was doing color for a long time and, uh, worked in the Columbia public school district, uh, Rod had had some, some health issues, during the 1989-90 season. And so they asked me to fill in. And so I did a few games, one at Oklahoma State, did another game. And then it turned out that Rod's health would not allow him to do the complete 90-91 season. So Joe said, would you like to do color? So I worked with Tom Dorr for a season. Uh, And the amazing thing is, is that at the end of that season, Tom Dorr, was hired by the Chicago Bulls to become the television uh, voice of the Bulls. He goes to Chicago, Castiglione and Roger Gardner from Learfield say, would you like to do Missouri basketball? So I started doing play-by-play in 91-92 with Joe Buck as my color analyst. How about that? That's unheard of, by yeah. the way, these days for a non-former player. Isn't I know. It? Well, Although Jorvino's your guy now. Yeah, so exactly. What do well, I know? You know, it was one of those things I think Joe respected my knowledge. I think Joe Joe understood that, that at least on the interim, you know, let's see what happens. Um, and so that's the direction we went. Um, and then in, before the 94 season, uh, Bill Wilkerson, the late, great Billy Wilkerson, mm-hmm. God rest his soul, um, gets the job doing the Arizona Cardinals. And so... You know, again, Roger Gardner and Joe Castiglione come to me and say, would you like to do both football and basketball? And so, you know, here we are. Wow. It's amazing. Isn't it yeah. amazing? I mean, again, it you is. just think about that. Had Bill Wilkerson been like, yeah. I'm happy to go up to Columbia and do Tiger Talk? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> Who knows what would have happened? Right. You know, and the funny thing is, you know, back to Joe just for a second, because we both obviously respect, like him, you know, um, care about him a great deal. Uh, his father... Mr. Buck used to uh, refer to us as the two fledglings. And he would say, when are you two fledglings going to begin your careers? To which I will have used many times over the years, one of us is still fledgling. The other guy's had a pretty good career along the way. So a lot of fun. How about that? So I didn't realize that you two had worked together. So Joe at that time, if that's what, 91, 92, you said? He's yeah, like it was 91, 92 season. Yeah. If my math is yeah. correct on that, 21, 22? Yeah, he was... Uh, I think that was supposed to be a senior year at Indiana. Is that right? <laughs> Decided to bail on that. Seems like it's been an okay yeah, decision. Yeah, it was a pretty good decision at that point. So time. you're so you're you're getting a chance to work with out of the gate, uh, Norm Stewart. Yeah. What was that like? And and give me some impressions you know, you, of Norm you, you Stewart. You think about and and I had watched Coach Stewart from afar. And when I was at Illinois, I would come to the Bragging Rights game, and uh, I'd see him on the sidelines, and you'd see the fiery personality. And you think to yourself, wow, is this going to be intimidating? 
and it really wasn't. He was he could not have been more gracious to me. And you think about the guys that he had worked with through the years, and he could have easily said, "Who's this peon?" You know, because he had worked with you know Rooney or Costas Rooney, right. uh, Kevin Harlan, then Tom Dore, who played for him at Missouri. Um, but he was he he could not have been more gracious, more kind, more helpful. Whatever you need, let me know. Um, I, I always remember this about Coach Stewart. We'd do pregame shows, and 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 he would always ask. He would always tell me, just make sure before we tape the pregame show to ask me if there's anything in particular I need to talk about that night. So okay, Coach, no problem. So we sit down, and and this happened on more than one occasion. And I'd say, hey, is there anything you want me to talk about? And he'd say, well, ask me about this. And so we'd get in the conversation, and I'd say, and by the way, boom, and I'd ask him what he had asked me to talk about. And he'd say, yeah, but I don't really want to talk about that and go in a whole totally different direction. And then it would happen multiple times where he would suck me in with something, hey, ask me about this, and then completely ignore it or, you know, why would you ask me about that, Mike? You know, so. But he was great to work with. He really was. Yeah. So, Missouri, if there's one thing, and you've been on the call for a lot of these, I gather you since you were hosting Tiger Talk, you were there with Coach Stoll to talk about the fifth down game. Mm-hmm. If there's one thing that I feel like as a guy who went to school there but was a Missouri fan before I went to school there, our athletic programs, the revenue-generating sports specifically, have experienced some of the most heartbreaking signature moments in college athletics over the last 30 years. And I think you've been on the call of almost all of them. You weren't on the call of the fifth down. Fifth correct? down, I was in the studios at KMOX listening to it as, unf- edit un- as it unfolded. Were you thinking uh, as it was going on, oh, my God, this is a fifth down, or you didn't realize Yeah, it? no, Jim Holder and I both were just kind of tracking it. As we, and it was, yeah. Oh, so you did, since you were oh, yeah. tracking it, you were like, yeah. And then oh, we were, no then, then, you know, Holder, just given the, the great reporter that, that, that he is, starts thinking about who can we get a hold of to talk about this? Who from the officiating association who oversees, you know, the officials across the country, you know, what's, 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 I mean, just immediately started going into that, that, that mode of, of what's the best way to, to, to deal with this. So yeah, we, we knew what was happening when it was, when it was going on and Bill obviously knew what was going on. Right. It was, um, pretty amazing. Yeah. Were you able to watch the, was the game on television live? Uh, I did because not Because there's controversy as to whether or not he even got in the end zone in the first place. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know. Charles Johnson, Colorado's quarterback, would eventually work on the Colorado broadcast and was a fundraiser back in the back in the nineties and, and early two thousands with Colorado. He still may be there. And every time I would see him, I would say, You realize not only did you get an extra down, but you didn't get into the end zone. <laughs> and he'd just laugh. You know, yeah. he's like, Well, that's not what the official said. Anyway, <laughs> but uh yeah, you know, and, and, and in fact, Matt Davison, another one of those great Shevin moments. Wiggins, in, Matt Davison. Yeah, the, 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 the famous flea kicker. Uh, Davidson did color on basketball and football for Nebraska, you know, back uh, several years when they were still in the Big 12. And I would say, Matt, I'd see Matt, and every time I'd see him, I'd think, there's one catch in your career I wish you wouldn't have made. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it's weird, all in the north end zone. Um Sometimes those define you, but hopefully, yeah. hopefully, moving forward, you'll be able to figure out a way to create clear memories for them and have hands. a have a signature yeah. one that goes the other way. Yeah. So, so you're 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 on the call of football and basketball. It's Norm Stewart. It's Larry Smith. Speaking of that game with Nebraska, one of my favorite moments. And I don't know if I don't know when you're calling the game in '97. If you're looking the video at the board, yeah, I don't know if you had it. Yeah. They cut to Larry Smith. Now, a lot of people think 
like it's become urban myth of sorts that Larry Smith's on the sidelines crying after the Chevin Wiggins, Matt Davis and kick, Mm-mm, but he's actually that. crying when yeah. Corby Jones leapt over a Nebraska yeah. defender to get in yeah. for a signature touchdown in right. the fourth quarter, third quarter, maybe well, either way, he was emotional about the way his team was playing. He could cry in a heart. You know I mean? Just on the drop of a dime, he could cry. I mean, uh, what a terrific person. I mean, I love, I, I, I love being bring around up. Larry Smith. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a guy that, uh, and I'll tell you a story about Larry Smith. Um, we all knew what was taking place when he was fired. We knew it was going to happen. They had played the last game of the season at home against Kansas State. We had to tape his television show at the time. I was I was hosting his TV show. Mm-hmm. And as we got ready to tape the show on the field prior to, prior to or at the end of the game, uh, it started raining, as luck would have it. Right. Um, so we moved uh, the stools just inside the locker room with the uh, backdrop of the field behind us mm-hmm. and started taping his show. And we got done at the end of the show and he just embraced me and he, we knew what was happening. They were meeting at that point in time, Mike Alden with the chancellor and, um, you know, Larry, Larry understood what was about ready to take place. And so, you know, and he cried at the time and thanked me. But Gary Pinkle gets hired. And my wife and I, or we're having breakfast one morning at the 63 Diner, oh, north wow. of town. Wow. And Larry and Cheryl Smith walk in. And this is after Pinkle and his staff had been hired. And they slide into the booth next to us, and we're talking. And he says to me, what do you think of the new coaching staff? I said, I don't really know. He said, what do you mean you don't know? I said, well, coach, I said, after you guys were fired... I was pretty tight with a lot of people on your staff. I just, I just haven't had time to, or taken the time to really spend a lot of time with these guys. He said, it's your job. Don't worry about us. You need to treat those guys the same way that you treated us. And you need to spend time with them and get to know them. And I thought about that and, and he was right, you know, and, and for whatever reason, I just was kind of allowing it to kind of unfold, if you will, and, and probably needed to engage a little bit further with, with, Coach Pinkle and mm-hmm. his staff, which eventually I would develop really good relationships with all those guys. But that's the part of coaching that the fans does, don't think about, right? They don't think about not only the number of coaches that are impacted by a decision when a change is made, they don't think of the number of lives that are impacted oh, yeah. by that decision because you've got the coaches, you've got the wives, you've got the children. In some cases, you've got the grandchildren. Uh, a lot of different people that are impacted. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I'll always respect uh you know, the time that, and, and remember finally the time that, that I got a chance to spend with, with Larry Smith. And he had two really good teams in yeah. 97 and 98. 97 and 98. And, and, and by the way, also with Bob Stahl. But, you know, the, the thing that Larry doesn't get enough credit to him for, he gave the Missouri fan hope. Hope that this could happen again. Because in 97 and 98, they go to back-to-back bowl games. They end the 13 consecutive years of losing football. And, and, and gave the Missouri fan, I think, what I would call the return of the, the perpetual smile on their faces during the off-seasons because our football team has finally given us something to be proud of. And then, of course, Gary Pinkle comes in and develops a level of consistency in that regard. Um, and again, I think made Missouri fans proud to be fans of the program. When I met Gary Pinkle, and I'm 23, I think at the time when I interviewed him for KMOV, and I remember coming back to the sports office and telling Steve Savard, Doug Vaughn, producers, I said, I buy in. Now, I don't know if it's because I'm a fan and I went yeah. to school there, but I bought in. And one of the things I liked 
and when I Coach Pinkle was the first guest on on this show, was I liked the fact that a he stayed at places. Granted, he was right. young and it was one of his first head coaching jobs after Toledo. But then B that he, it was very important to him to meet with the players at Toledo and how emotional it was for yeah. him to leave. In other words, I think at the time also, and this isn't intended to be a shot at Quinn Snyder, but even though Quinn was only in his or had finished his second year or first year, whatever it was, you got the sense that that was probably going to be more of a stepping stone for Quinn. Whereas with Pinkle, you felt like this is a guy who, if it works, he's going right. to be here for the long haul. Yeah, and, and because we had never dealt with someone of Quinn's celebrity coming in, yeah. and and that's a whole total different topic, right? But you know, what Gary, if Larry doesn't get enough credit for giving the Missouri fan hope, what Gary doesn't get enough credit for is his unwillingness to accept the word no. Mm. When those that he worked for would tell him, you know, Coach, we really can't do this project right now. Coach, we really can't schedule this. Coach, we really can't. No. You brought me here to build a program. I know how to build a program. These are the steps we have to take in order to accomplish that. I'm not going to accept no because other coaches before me accepted no and they failed. His unwillingness to accept the word no from those folks, whether it be Mike Alden or from supporters or from administration, I mean, that was one of the keys that allow him to really, you know, as he used to say, knock through knock through doors, knock doors open, cross hurdles, whatever you want to say. I really believe fundamentally that's the reason why is because he wouldn't accept the word no from those that he worked for. I liked the fact that after I think it was a 2001 game against Texas, you may know. Oh, when he went nuts after the game because because, because Missouri fans were satisfied that you were competitive. That they only lost by 18 or yeah, something. Yeah, well, well, why are we satisfied with being competitive? I love that message. It's you know, I mean, completely. Yeah, and that's, you know, he, he was, you know, at the time I was working in athletics. And one of the things that, that I'll remember, too, about Gary is that he had – he had strict expectations, right, about where the commitment needed to be in order for this thing to grow. And, you know, he got upset because his coach's show was on, I think, here in St. Louis at midnight, maybe on KMOV at the time. Do you realize in Columbus, Ohio, or in Cleveland, Ohio, or in Cincinnati, Ohio, that the Ohio State football shows at 10 a.m. every Sunday morning? Do you realize you're not Ohio State yet? You know, so, uh, but those were some of the little small, minute mm-hmm. details that he would get involved in that I think, from a big picture standpoint, allowed him to be successful and build something there. So he gets to what was, what is still one of my favorite moments at Fro Field. And I certainly will ask you that question, your favorite moments. I'm sure you have a number of them. And that's uh, October, I think it was October 19th, 2003, Nebraska. That streak mm-hmm. comes to an end. It was a Saturday night game. The streak had gone on forever, and they finally get him. You're in the booth. Give me your memories of that night. You kind of felt it was going to happen because Missouri had been so close on so many different occasions, right? It was, uh, it had been, what, 25 consecutive years and uh, our 24 consecutive losses. This was the first time in 25 years that they'd won the game. Um, And. You know, while while I don't remember minute details of play by play by play by play, I just remember the sense going in that this is this is there's an opportunity here. Nebraska is not what Nebraska had been, um, but Missouri was gaining confidence going back to even 1997. Mm-hmm. You know that they could play on the same field, play 
toe-to-toe with the, the vaunted Huskers. And so you just had a feeling that, that, that something special could happen that night. Um, and it did. And then when it did and the, the, the reaction of the crowd and, you know, the uh, students coming onto the field and just, but, but again, I, I, I used the phrase perpetual smile, but having lived in Columbia at the time, just the feeling of relief and satisfaction that you'd finally beaten Nebraska. I mean, it was, there was even references, you know, um, at mass the next day from, <laughs> from the priest about, you know, well, it finally happened. So anyway, uh, it was just really cool. Th- these benchmarks in, in 97 and 98, like you said, it made people believe it could happen. Mm-hmm. 2003, it does happen in the sense that you beat Nebraska. And I think these are things that need to happen in order for a program to not just have a one-hit wonder season, but yeah. to build consistency, which then leads us to something that, you know, when you look back on it, if, for me to think that Missouri could be number one in college football when I was a student there, mm-hmm. it'd be a joke. Like right. we, like it was like we'd throw oranges on the field after the first <laughs> touchdown against Eastern Michigan or something like that, as if they're going to the Orange Bowl. You, you, it, see, I knew that about you. I knew that. I was one of the yeah, guys yeah, yeah. doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so the idea of Missouri being number one is something you – and then sure enough, in 2007, it happens. I asked Coach Pinkle this when I interviewed him. Did he have any sense that that could be that kind of a team? I'm curious because you had seen so many teams. I remember they opened up the season against Illinois. It's a thrilling game, but right. I remember walking out of the dome and going, well, neither one of those teams are any good. Right. One goes to the Cotton Bowl. One goes to the Rose Bowl, if I'm not mistaken, or right. Sugar Bowl. Either way, Illinois had a great season. Shows what I know. Could you tell that there was something going on there? I thought that, uh, again, they had an opportunity to be pretty good because of the collection of talent that they had on the football field. I mean, you had this guy from South Lake Carroll, Texas, that came in – better prepared than any quarterback that I had seen at Missouri at that point in time. Um, and he had a collection of guys that just had the ability to make plays. And, you know, you think about Denario Alexander and, and others. Um, and, and so, yeah, I thought that they had a chance to, again, I, you know, get to a bowl game, but to become number one in the country. I mean, those of us that have followed Missouri for years don't think about it in that regard when it comes to the sport of football because it just hasn't happened, right. right? And I've always been a believer that for teams to succeed, they have to be able to perform on the platform, at least experience before you can either, ever uh, fully succeed on the platform. Much like the Cubs, you know, they had to get to the playoffs before they could realize mm-hmm. the next year that they could advance and, and win the World Series. Um, so, I, I again, I thought it was a team because of, of, of Chase Daniels' leadership and, and, and because of, you know, I think the year before they had lost in the Sun Bowl. Oregon State. Yeah, and I remember going back to the airport in El Paso, and as we're getting off the buses and getting ready to get on the charter to fly back, there's Chase Daniels seated by himself between two escalators that go up into the terminal uh, at the El Paso airport. And I walked over and talked to him, and I said, hey, man, tough loss, but, you know, big things ahead. And he looked at me, he said, we'll only get better from this. And I'll never let something like that happen again. And uh, I thought to myself, this is a driven young man. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as, as, as it would, his career would prove, yes, he was. And um, he just was so doggone accurate with the football. And he led with such a, with such a swagger, you know. And, um, but it backed it up, though, with his performance on the field. He... Uh, you know, really, really fun to watch. And and you think about that game and, 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 and how weird is this, Tim? 
Missouri and Kansas, not exactly two household names when it comes to the sport of football. And to think about for that one night in November of 2007, the eyes of college football were on Kansas City, Missouri, and on Arrowhead Stadium and fixated on Missouri and Kansas. We may never see that again. Never. For either program. Right. Uh, certainly for Kansas. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a it's a rough situation over there, isn't yeah. it? I mean, that I would imagine that has to be one of your favorite calls. I would imagine that it has was to yeah, be. you know, it, it that will always that will always go down in in memory. Yeah. Um, you know, Lorenzo Williams with the sack of Todd Reesing in the end zone and seeing and the Todd Reeson yeah, exactly. Coming up with the big clump of sod in his face mask. Uh, yeah, and, but but the other thing too is just the the events surrounding the game. I mean, as you're driving into the stadium, I mean, the number of people that were surrounding Arrowhead Stadium, uh, the number of and it's a cold day, right? right? And I so the there. the yeah. smoke that's, yes. that's billowing yes. up from different locations, from the tailgate tents. Uh, the anticipation of both teams arriving and the reaction of their fan bases as they saw the buses pull in, uh, players walking onto the field, and you could just feel the energy um, and also the competitive nature of both sides. You th- you really thought that something might explode in pregame warm-ups because there was such, such great anticipation of both sides. And then it was so miserable. I mean, it was cold. Um, You know, I don't know that I had enough. And, 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 you know, Bill Wilkerson used to have this phrase, and it would really dictate whether the windows in the booth were open or not. Depending on the temperature, Billy doesn't play hurt. Well, I've kind of adopted that theory a little bit. (laughs) Not with the windows because they're always open, but I'll just put on more clothes. And I think by the time that thing ended, I had on not only slacks, but sweats over the top of the slacks and the sweater and gloves on and a stocking cap. But... You know, and you're still cold and you're shaking, but you're just amazed at what took place. And then for Missouri to win it the way that they did was just truly, truly special. When I talked with Coach Pankel, he said without 2007, in particular 2008 to a lesser extent, beating Oklahoma in 2010, Mm -hmm. the number one team in the country at the time, they don't get the John McGaffey, by the way. What's that? John McGaffey, yeah. I saw you that. You were on the call, and my wife and I were up there. We had won some contest. I don't know why we you were, were up there. Yeah. Yeah, and we were up there, and we, Coach Cadillac came out at halftime. We were talking about the game. I mean, how lucky is that? It's like a Forrest Gump moment. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, and open, that was one of the most electric moments in the history of that right. building with yeah. all the anticipation of it. Game day had been there, yeah. Oh, yeah. That if that does, all of this doesn't happen, the SEC doesn't come knocking without that success. If Missouri was still what Missouri was pre-97, yeah, or even 2005 no. Missouri. Yeah, you know? you're right. You're right. Because there was a there was a, a certain brand that the SEC was looking for as they were trying to expand their footprint. Um, the state of Missouri was obviously very important to them from a television standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, had you not had some success in the sport, you would have never gotten the opportunity. Were you all for that when that was going on? Because there was dalliances with at least thought to be dalliances with the Big Ten a couple yeah, of years. Yeah, and the early. story I was always told is that the Big Ten did a did a research study, and they took a typical Saturday afternoon, and they took Nebraska against Michigan State, and Missouri against Michigan State, and which one would draw the most eyes, and it wasn't even close. Yeah. Nebraska and Michigan State. Um, I've always thought that that Missouri and the Big Ten aligned mm-hmm. academically. But 
when you're asking me as the selfish broadcaster, I was stoked when Missouri went to the SEC. I said at the time, but I mean it. How many times in one's life do you have to visit Manhattan, Kansas, or Ames, Iowa, or, you know, Lubbock, Texas, for goodness sakes? Um, great people there, but the opportunity to then go to, you know, places like, you know, Knoxville and, you know, Gainesville and other cities along the way and to get to meet so many different people. I mean, it's, it's, it's been really a, and how it's a such neat a experience. Part of the culture. It's such a part of the culture and you're really, Missouri fans are still figuring that out. Yeah, they really are. And, uh, but, but for me, selfishly, it was, and the other thing too, you and I both like to hit the ball around a little bit. That's right. That's right. You can play golf virtually every Friday or Saturday during the course of the fall across the landscape of the sec. If time allows, it sounds like I need to make a road trip. Yes, you do. <laughs> 2013, Missouri gets the SEC championship game. I remember walking into that building going, I can't believe that my alma mater is playing A in mm-hmm. a championship game, but the SEC championship game, and they're going up against Auburn, and you're walking around. And I don't know if you experienced this because you're up in the booth early, but the fans are war eagle, war eagle. That's how they greet each other. Right. And I think the Alabama fans go, roll tide, roll tide. Yeah. And that's all you're hearing the whole yeah. time. And Missouri essentially is in a semifinal for the national championship for the second time in six years. Right. And 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 here's the thing that, that struck me about that experience. Missouri had played in the Big 12 championship game on a few occasions. Mm-hmm. The SEC championship game is at a much higher level. And the reason why I say that is because everybody that is anybody – in terms of who covers the sport of football, is in Atlanta every year Mm -hmm. for the SEC championship. It's not just those that are familiar to the SEC. I mean, it is those that really impact the sport from a coverage standpoint and also from a notoriety standpoint. And so you just get to see just how big that stage is with a national television audience in the middle of the day on CBS or late afternoon on CBS. Yeah. And um, that's what struck me is just just how grand the platform is. Uh, and I'll tell you, from a, from a business standpoint and from a, uh, an operational standpoint, I mean, the Big 12 is, is, is good at what they do. I'll give them complete credit for that. It's, a, it's like going, though, from local business to Wall Street when you talk about the way that the SEC operates mm-hmm. within uh, within the offices, uh, you know, in 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 in, uh, in Birmingham. I mean, it's uh, it's amazing the, the structure of their leadership. I mean, Greg Sankey's unbelievable, um, and those that work for him, Herb Vincent and others, great people. So, um, but yeah, when you get there, you just realize how big of a how big of a of a platform that is that you're about ready to perform. He on. can't help but fire you up to yeah. walk through that. Has wound up being an entertaining game for certain. The next year, not as entertaining against Alabama. Right. And then the Missouri. Here's the funny thing about that. And 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 the I, Alabama. I, the Alabama yeah, yeah, the Alabama game. So my daughter, Megan Kathleen, my youngest, is now a senior at the University of Alabama. She was a freshman at Alabama that year. So she and some friends drove over from Tuscaloosa mm-hmm. to Atlanta, about three hours. We got them tickets. She sat down in the uh, in the Mizzou section with strict instructions. I don't want to see any Alabama stuff. <laughs> so I look, and my wife is watching her on binoculars through the binoculars uh, from the broadcast booth. And and Megan shows up. We pick her up. Uh, she arrived at our hotel, 
and she's got on a Alabama sticker on one side of her cheek and then a Missouri sticker on the other side of her cheek, and she's got on crimson with a, uh, I think it was black houndstooth, right? Black and white houndstooth. Bear Bryant, Houndstooth, Alabama. Anyway, so it was very subtle in the way that she showed her allegiance to her school. Well, Alabama has this traditional cheer at the end of the game called Rammer Jammer. You know, hey, whatever, hey, whatever, no, we just beat the heck out of you. Rammer Jammer, Yellow Hammer, give them hell, Alabama. Well, uh, so I asked her after the game when I saw her, I said, hey, did you did you stick around to cheer Rammer Jammer? She said, oh, Yeah. I said, where were you? She said, oh, Dad, I was in the Missouri section. But don't worry, they all left. <laughs> yeah, TJ Moe and I were sitting together in the Alabama uh, section right behind their bench. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, this, is, this isn't this is going real well. But yeah. I remember looking down on the sideline, there's Lane Kiffin coaching up Amari Cooper and, like, TJ Yeldon, Derek Henry. And you're just yeah, like, and what they had one world? of those classic play-action fakes, too, where they hit uh, they hit Amari Cooper on a deep post and, and the classic Kiffin reaction where as soon as the ball <laughs> fake happened and Jacob Coker loaded it up, the hands go up right. because Kiff saw that it was six. And But you know what? It, it, it Again, it just proved to you that, A, it's great to get to that stage, but, B, how much further you have to get if right. you want to succeed on that stage. And, and let's face it, I mean... For the success that Missouri's had, we still are a long way away from being in those top-tier teams that can succeed in that level on a consistent basis. But yet, the program did get to four championship games in, in Pinkle's era. He, yeah, and he absolutely. And he acknowledges, he goes, yeah. one of the things that always will bother me is the fact that we, I never won one of those. Yeah. And so, but along those lines, if you would have told me when I met him in December 2000 that he would take Missouri to four conference championship games, oh my God. People the, downplayed his hiring because he was from a Mac school. from a Mac school, right. You know, they didn't realize that you know, the, the how important the ties to Don James were and the ability mm. to have the forethought to how to model the program that Don James built and took to Washington and then bring that from Toledo to Missouri and the rest is history. Yeah, so the, the, the reason I bring that up is, and when I interviewed Coach Pinkel, and he immediately dismissed it, and you know him much better than I do, then you probably figure, yeah, he probably would dismiss it. I just thought the way that the thing ended, and by the thing I mean his coaching tenure, it was chaos for how significant the run was. Right. November 2015 is like if you did local versions of ESPN's 30 for 30, what went on in Columbia in, in November 2015, of course you have the hunger strike, you have the football team talking about a boycott, and then all of the sudden, out of nowhere, you have the head football coach announcing he's been diagnosed with lymphoma. Mm -hmm. What's your memories, your experiences of November 2015? Well, when the uh, first news broke... Uh, I was seated with my wife watching television, and I had my phone, and as many of us do, me no longer because now I've departed the Twitter world. But uh, I think that's a good call. You know, I, yeah, it's exploding. It's the gun that's waiting to explode in your hand. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I was scrolling through Twitter, and I saw the first the first accounts of this, you know, uh -huh. threat and boycott, and I literally said, "You got to be kidding me." maybe a little bit more emphatically than that. But, um, and then I, I remember driving into Columbia and my phone rings as I'm pulling up. I was going to get something, but, oh, I know what it was. I was going to get game notes because uh, I had, had them printed at the time, my boards. And I pull in um, and the phone rings, my cell phone rings, and it's Mac Rhodes. 
And he says to me, hey, by the way, we're going to announce, just wanted to give you the heads up that, that we're announcing Coach Penkel's retirement um, coming up here within the next, you know, 15 minutes the release is going out. A couple things stand out. Um, number one, I don't know, to, to your point about the way it unfolded, I don't know that there's that there's a way that you learn how to, I don't know if there's a coaching angle, if you will, or, co- or, or points to follow when something like that happens mm-hmm. and you're dealing with somebody's health. I, I, I don't know. It was very surreal doing the news conference later when, you know, uh, it was announced. Um, to the hunger strike and to the boy, the threat and boycott, I think if you talk to everyone that was involved across the board, whether it be the president, the chancellor, the athletic director, the head football coach, or the players, if they were all honest with themselves, they all would evaluate that circumstance and say, yeah, there were mistakes made along the way. Mm. There were things we could have done better. Um, At the time, everybody got, I think, caught up in the emotions of what were taking place and trying to react individually to their own individual little compartmentalized worlds. But without question, people made mistakes. Uh, if you're concerned as players of a young man's health, who is the person that is kind of affiliated with medical personnel that you trust the most? Probably Rex Sharp, your head trainer. If you're concerned about him, why wouldn't you ask if he can go examine the guy just to make sure? Because again, we're worried if he's going to die. I think somebody would be able to find that out rather quickly if they had a chance to examine him. Uh, so that's one that kind of stands out. Um, had the people at the campus and chancellor's level paid more attention to the initial um, grievances, maybe none of this mm-hmm. evolved to way it, to the way that it did to the to the level that it did. Um, and my lands, you think about the number of people that got swallowed up by this, from a university president to a university chancellor. Uh, the football coach had his health that he was dealing with. Um, the impact is something that the university is still feeling, uh, I think, on multiple levels. Uh, but that's why a season like this year is so important, you know, to have six consecutive wins, to see football doing well, to gain some measure of enthusiasm, if you will, moving into 2018. But, yeah, I think if everybody's honest with themselves, I think they'd all agree that there were mistakes made along the way. And because when I did interview Coach Pinkle, and I think it was late September, it was like three days after the Auburn game. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a signature moment right. for this program, which I'm getting into right now. One of my final questions was to him, some fans believe, right or wrong, that the handling of November 2015 has played a role in where the program is now. And keep in mind, this is right after the Auburn mm-hmm. game, arguably the mm-hmm. low point, mm-hmm. and he really rejects that. He does not like the way the university uh, handled it, and he was outspoken in the interview about that. He's very firm in that he did what was best for his program and best for his players. And, and, and you're never going to change his mind in that regard. My only point is this. I think if he's honest with himself, is there something he could have done differently? How could you not say, yeah, there was something I could have done differently? Um, so, you know, it just was unfortunate that that it happened. You know, the other thing, though, that gets lost throughout all of this, and this is kind of a broader kind of 
back to Missouri going to the SEC, one of the things that people don't take into account when they look at the number of kids that are not going to Mizzou or the lack of attendance is the job that other schools in the SEC have done in terms of recruiting the state of Missouri. Yeah, what, When Missouri entered the league, yeah. those schools said, you know what, this is fertile grounds for us to recruit students, number one. And you think about the different competitive programs, reciprocal programs that have been put in place, at whether it be in Arkansas or in Ole Miss or other places. Well, your and daughter's it's going, yeah, all well, of a yeah, people going and, Alabama from St. Louis. Yeah, and 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 here's the weird thing: um, you mentioned Roll Tide and War Eagle. I, I Lori and I last year after the Arkansas game um, drove from Columbia, Missouri, on that Friday afternoon uh, to Winfield, Alabama. Spent the night there. Got up the next morning, and then we went to the to the Iron Bowl in Tuscaloosa. Oh. It's it's an amazing an amazing day, um, really cool to experience as a fan. Um, but we went to a tailgate that day, and there were more than fifty families from the state of Missouri that were all together at this tailgate. So it goes to show you that somebody in the league is doing something right in terms of trying to attract students from our state, and maybe that might have a little bit of an impact on the ability of the University of Missouri to attract students. I know I had three kids that grew up in Columbia. They weren't going to Mizzou. They wanted to go elsewhere because they had grown up in Columbia, Missouri. I subscribe to you that there are probably kids within the state of Missouri that just want to experience something else other than their home state. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Those that want to stay at home, more power to you. Mm -hmm. I've always said this about student-athletes. If you're a homegrown kid, and if you stay at home, and you go to the University of Missouri, there is a level of celebrity that you will develop. T.J. Moe probably would agree with me on this, that will follow you the rest of your life because of your affiliation having played at the University of Missouri. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's yeah, something yeah. that student-athletes need to consider yeah. is because, going back to what we said much earlier, every conversation is a networking opportunity. And do you have more opportunities to network within your home state than you would outside? Yeah. I think it's, it's something wise. to consider. It's wise. It needs to be conveyed to a 17- yeah. or 18-year-old. Just need to consider you know? it, I think. Yeah, but yeah. it's wise. I bring up the Auburn game of, of 2017 – because at that moment, I was texting with a few friends of mine. You're thinking, well, I'm thinking, God, they're going to have to hire a new football coach. And I hate the idea of a coach. I hate two-year turnovers. I hate right. that. I just don't think it's healthy. I think we've seen 27 coaching changes in the SEC since 2007. Yeah. Uh, clearly, Tennessee, for example, has been chaos. But there have been a number of them. And even though it wasn't going well, I really didn't like the idea of just getting rid of Barry Odom after two years. Even though right. it clearly was you know, with Purdue and South Carolina and then Auburn. And he has the explosion after the Auburn game. Right. His line in the sand sand moment. Yeah, Yeah. defining moment. I recall watching, I was watching it live, I think I was watching it live on uh, Gabe DeArmond's site, powermizzou.com, and I recall watching him pace back and forth. And I feel like at that moment, he's debating whether or not he lets it out or if he's trying to calm himself down so he doesn't. Mm Mm-hmm. He received a hell of a lot of criticism after that in the immediate moments. Now with the benefit of two months afterwards and the team going on the run, it is considered a signature moment. What did you think when that happened? Well, first thought was, is that really what you want to do? Mm -hmm. Second thought was, there's a little Larry Smith in what's taking place here. Mm. 
I still remember Larry Smith walking into the Onofrio meeting room with all of his assistant coaches with a piece of paper in his hand and thinking to myself, is he getting ready to resign? And he made a very impassionate plea at that point in time. So I think there was a little bit of the former head football coach, uh, his former head football coach that came into that. Um, so the first reaction is, again, how is that going to play? But I also knew this, and, and, and again, I'm still learning to, about Jim Sterk. Um, but what I knew at the time was this, is that here's a real genuine guy that's not going to make an impulsive decision that is going to allow the entire body of work to take place before any evaluation or decision is made. So, um, you know, and as I looked back on it and as, you know, good for him for fighting for his program, for fighting for his staff and for fighting for his team and basically just, you know, as you look at it, giving, telling Missouri fans, you have to, it may not look so now, look like it now, but have confidence in what we're trying to do. And the benefit was is that, you know, you, you go to Georgia and you have an, uh, a better effort against Georgia, mm-hmm. put more points on the board against that defense than any yeah. other team has so far. Schedule softens. Football is a game of momentum and confidence. And you were able to use a couple of non-conference games to really develop some continuity and tempo and consistency on the offensive side. And then the other thing that took place, it kind of goes unnoticed and maybe not talked about enough. From a defensive standpoint, you were playing a lot of guys that hadn't played a lot, hadn't started, been put in that position, maybe didn't know how to prepare the way that they learned how to prepare as the season progressed. You you also made the commitment early on to play a lot of younger guys. Okay, so now you've got guys that are thrown into action. Maybe they're not quite prepared at this stage of their career. But as the season progressed... The guys that are starting start to settle in, start to understand how to prepare. The game slows down for them. Fundamentally, they get better. The younger guys that are now coming in in supporting roles also gaining confidence. Um, and the byproduct is, is at the end of the season, you see a, te- a team that really has improved dramatically in all three phases of the game. Mm-hmm. Offense, defense, and special mm-hmm. teams. And the end result is six consecutive wins, and you're going to a bowl game in year two. Yeah. So good for him, looking back on it, for having the confidence to say, believe in me, because I believe in me. And, you know, I've known Barry since he was a doggone freshman at Mizzou. And uh, will always remember as a young guy, the first time I interviewed him, him him reaching out and he grabbing my hand and shaking it and looking me in the eye and introducing himself. Hi, I'm Barry Odom. And um, he's always been one of those guys that has always been very driven, you know, not a lot of you know. I don't know what, what do you say? A lot of a lot of falsehoods to his to his personality. Yeah. Just just you know, he's he's genuine. Um, and so you know, I it's it's been fun to watch what's taken place, and I think it's going to be fun in the future to see what happens. How much time do you have? Because I've already kept you an hour. So if you got to go, you got to go. I'm good. Good, sweet. Because yeah. I I, I want to go into basketball. I know I just have we done minutes. basketball. We talked a little. We talked a little norm. Um, but we did bring up the, the moment Norm steps down. I was I was at KOMU working in the sports department, and I recall getting the word that Norm Stewart steps down, 
and Trey Wingo. You know Trey, I assume, right? <laughs> Former Channel 5 guy. And uh, and I'm at KOMU working with Brian Nooner. And Trey Wingo goes, hey, I understand Norm Stewart stepped down and Quinn Snyder's going to be the head coach. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, whoa, and whoa. Where did yeah, these things yeah. come from? But I recall, first off, you have Norm Stewart stepping down. Huge. Uh, and whatever was going on to lead to that moment. And then now you're bringing in this Duke assistant, like you said, celebrity to come in. And you, of course, MC the press conference as the voice of all of these press conferences. Remember that press conference? It was like a rock concert. Yeah. It was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. You know, a uh, couple back to Norm just for a second. The other thing that I remember about Norm, do you remember the feuds that Norm and Bernie used to have? Oh, yeah. You know, and, and I, I, I said to, to Norm at one point in time, the reason why you guys are like this is because you're both the same. <laughs> and he got really upset about that. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, you're both petulant children that you can't let <laughs> something go. <laughs> you obviously had developed a comfortable relationship you know, with them. And, and so I remember that Norm called a news conference. You may remember, remember this at the uh, at the Marriott, the airport Marriott in St. Louis. And I was I was still living here, so this was prior to 1997. And he drove he drove in from Columbia, he and Virginia, and they walk in the room, and this whole thing of reporters is there. And it had been written by Bernie that he was you know that that he was going to resign or something like that, something to effect. Maybe it was said, and 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 Norm walks in, and and it lasted. It kind of went like this. He said, "I'm just here to tell you that I'm not going to resign. Have a great day." And he walked out. As I remember, it was something to that effect, and uh, and then he and Virginia, I'm sure, went and had dinner somewhere, Tony's or someplace, and uh-huh. wrote it off because it was a university. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, expense that. But uh, so I so so that was something about his makeup that I'll remember. But you know the the Quinn thing. You, you're right. I mean, it was. Um, I think confirmation came from Jay Billis. He was the first to report that uh-huh. Quinn was going to take the job, uh, and then. Just the number of people in the different outlets that were at the Alumni Center on campus uh, when Quinn was introduced. And, um, you know, here's this skinny guy with this, you know, full head of curly hair. Yeah, we're so jealous. You know, and he's, you know, very, uh, you know, antsy, I guess, is, (laughs) you know, and, 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 you know, but very thoughtful. You know, and you're thinking and listening to him, and, 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 and he's talking about his guys. And I remember at one point in time, he looks over to Brian Grower and says something about, hey, Grower, you know, I, I can't wait to coach you or something like that. Um, so I, I remember that, but I also remember we, and maybe a mistake made by Mike Alden in terms of pushing Quinn out to so many different audiences that he did early on in his tenure, and and Quinn was never really comfortable in those settings when 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 he's surrounded by so many people. We 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 did an event at Harpo's in Chesterfield, and uh, walking in with him and the number of cameras and people grabbing at him, and you know, ladies wanting to take pictures with him, and and Helen, his wife, is with us, and. I mean, it was really an uncomfortable moment for him, and then trying to get him out of there. Um, he handled it well, but you could tell that he that that he was uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the one thing we know about Quinn: tremendously intelligent young man. I mean, you don't get your JD and your 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 master's MBA without being able to do that. Uh, but at 32 years of age, not ready to be handed over the keys no, to the Cadillac, to think and at 32, and and wow. I think, and, and honestly, again, I 
I use this phrase probably too often for people, but again, if we're honest with ourselves, and I think if Mike Alden looks back at this time, Mike hired him and said he was going to mentor him. And I think, do you ask yourself the question, did you do everything you could do from a mentoring standpoint to help him? Because I think he probably needed more help in developing his first staff, probably needed a veteran presence on that first staff that maybe wasn't there. Um, yeah. And, you know, how times might have, you know, been different had he done it. I think the other thing that Quinn suffered from, and I don't know that people have talked about this a lot, he spent so much time at Duke. And if you spend any time in that part of the country, they talk about the Duke bubble, right? On campus, it's a bubble. It's a private institution. Coach K doesn't have to do anything he doesn't want to do. He's also, by the way, earned that right, right? Mm -hmm. But you go from that bubble and watching this Hall of Fame coach dictate to others what he's going to do, and now you come as a 32-year-old head coach to a state institution, a land-grant public institution, where it's the people's department. It's not the basketball right. program's department. And I don't think he ever quite understood that when it comes to demands on your time, when it comes to responsibilities to appear at functions for the athletic department, that that was part of what people expected and also what the job demanded. Um, and so I think that was that was a learning curve that he never quite got comfortable with. There was some success. It was it, yeah. the best team, I guess, was, I don't even know if they were the best team, but the, the team that got to the Elite Eight was right. a 12 seed, which is right. an outlier. Uh, and then the way it ended obviously chaotic. Is there anything that stands out to you? I'm sure there's plenty that stands out to you. I don't know how much you can get into that actually took place with the well, way it ended. You know, the, it, it, great, I, you know, there were, I have, I have a lot of good memories of that time because there were so many people that you got to know that were a part of the program. And I'm talking about guys that I'll remember for the rest of my life that have always been really, really good to me. Uh, Ricky Paulding, Trayvon Bryant, yeah. Arthur Johnson, you know, uh, a funny kid that, that, that I enjoyed spending time around. Some of his staff members, Marcus Perez, uh, other John Hammonds, who who only was here for a year, uh, and, and here's the other thing about Quinn that, that that people don't think about: his first hire as an assistant coach was a guy named Bruce Frazier. Bruce Frazier played basketball at Arizona and was selling Oakley sunglasses at the time. We all loved it because he came with hands full of Oakley sunglasses when Oakley was just coming out and was hot. All right, so now you think about now who's Bruce Frazier? And, and this is just how smart Quinn was that we didn't realize at the time. If you watch Steph Curry before the games, there's an assistant coach with the uh, Warriors, grayish hair, gray beard, that's out with, with Steph Curry before every game working with him on his game. That's Bruce Frazier. He would eventually get to that role in his life, but at that stage of his life, wasn't ready to become a college assistant coach. And so after about six weeks, he left. But Quinn saw something in this kid wow. that he hired, and he would eventually become one of the most revered assistants in the National Basketball Association. Wow. So again, those are little things that we don't think about Quinn's makeup that, that to me, underscore just how talented he is and also how brilliant he was. It was just... The, too much, too soon at that stage of his life. And again, I wonder if he would have allowed for, and if there would have been more mentoring that would have taken place, how much this all would have unfolded differently. The thing about what took place with Missouri basketball in the 2000s and really leading up to Conzo Martin's hiring is it became the antithesis of what the football program was. 
growing up for me in the 80s and 90s, it was a traditional turnstile of coaches, and they were right. irrelevant. Now the football program has stability, and it's the basketball program yeah. that has. Well, and you had for years what kept Missouri athletics afloat during the lean years in football, Norm Stewart's basketball program. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you're right. So you, you, you found some success under Coach Snyder. And then you hire Mike Anderson, and Mike Anderson puts together some 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 teams that have some success. Yeah, Won a conference great tournament, to get to the Elite Eight, lose to UConn. Um, <laughs> Akeem Thabit is the player for UConn, <laughs> and all seven foot three of him. My daughter Megan, who I refer to as now a senior at Alabama, was uh, I think an eighth grader at the time. She traveled with me to, to to Phoenix or to Glendale for the tournament. I'll never forget after the game was lost. Kimmy English was her favorite player. We were down in the lock in the uh, hotel in the lobby. Team comes back. We get off the bus. She gets a big hug from Kimmy. She's got tears in her eyes. We go up to our room and she falls on the bed and she says, I hate Hakeem Thabit. <laughs> uh, you know, but again, had some success. Frank Haith, you know, at the end of the day, it was a bad hire. I don't care what success he had. It was a bad hire. Should have never been hired at Missouri. What, what happened um, there? You know, I, I... And I realize I'm asking some things that I know you can't get into everything. I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I again, I don't know. I'm telling you, Mike, when he was hired, I swear to you, uh, I saw it and I, and I had to look up who Frank Hayes yeah, was. Yeah, and there were so many lingering things with the... So many things that were out there regarding what was... What, what did or did not happen at Miami. Um... I just thought coming after Mike, and, and here's the thing about Mike Anderson, is that I think everybody knew that if the Arkansas job and if John Pelfrey was fired, mm-hmm. that, that that Mike Anderson was going to go home. I said this to Mike Anderson. Things would have been different for him on his departure from Missouri if he would have taken 30 seconds yeah. to do this. I enjoyed my time at Missouri. I'm going home. I think Tiger fans would have felt much differently about his departure. As opposed to the Columbia. But as you look at it, I you know, I just think there were so many lingering circumstances uh with Coach Hayes time in Miami that it just didn't I don't know, it just ma- didn't make a lot of sense. And yeah, he was able to to win with Mike's kids, um, you know, before the debacle against Norfolk State. Uh but I just I, I just didn't ever think that that was a really great fit for our institution. When that tenure comes to an end, and Kim Anderson, a guy that you certainly knew well as Norm's Who assistant, loved. yeah, you know, and, and, and many great memories, and, yeah. and, and, and I and I do, I I I, I love the guy, um, but it just didn't work out. Right? Were you thinking that they're going to go that direction, or when that announcement was made, were you like? Wow, I'm surprised. I when we were talking about on the show, like who they're going to hire, Doug would always say, "I'd love to see Kim Anderson." I know I felt like there was like a wing of the Missouri fan base that wanted to see the quote unquote true son return. Yeah, I think and, that and get yeah Missouri I, back to the norm days. Well, and it was revered by the old guard, right? It, it was. Um, I just didn't know at the time because I didn't know who the players were. I didn't, and, and honestly, I didn't know what direction Mike Alden wanted to go. Uh, I wasn't in, I wasn't working at the department. I had already left mm-hmm. um, and, and and was working in private business at the time. I just, I didn't have dialogue with him. I didn't know who, you know, if there was really truly a search committee who was involved. Um, 
And so, yeah, I, I just didn't know which direction they were going to go at that point in time. When it was happened, or was you know, as a friend, I mean, you're happy for Kim, right. happy that he gets the opportunity, uh, because coming off of a national championship, um, you know, he 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 deserved a an opportunity to do something. Um, you know, I always wonder too if Norm would have stepped down after the ninety three ninety four season after going unbeaten in the Big Eight, and if Kim would have been handed the job then, what would happen? Mm. How would how would have things changed or worked out? And I don't know, but. Um, yeah, so I was happy at the time when it, when, it, when it happened. And I felt for him over the course of the last three years because, you know, here's a guy that really desperately wants to see this program succeed um, but didn't have the, the, the talent in the program for it to take place uh, across the board. And, you know, doesn't get enough credit for writing the ship from an APR standpoint, from an academic responsibility standpoint, to really put the program in a position where Conzo Martin considers taking the job. So, um, yeah, it, it, it was it was kind of a strange three word, three years to say the least. With Conzo Martin, I made reference to with Coach Pinkel. I just bought in with Coach Pinkle the first time I interviewed him. I just bought in. I yeah. just bought in. I yeah, did not. I and, and it's not a shot at Mike Anderson. It's yeah. not a shot at uh, no. Frank Haith. I knew Kim Anderson from my time in Columbia and liked him quite a bit. I was surprised by the hire, that's for sure. But with Conzo Martin, I buy in. I feel the same way I did in December 2000 when, when I met Gary Pinkle regarding Conzo Martin. You've gotten a chance now to get to know him. What's your reaction to still, Coach Martin? Still learning each other. And part of what I respect so much about Conzo is that, you know, he didn't, I mean, it's not like he was standoffish, but every time that we've had conversation, the depth of the dialogue has increased each time we've gotten together. Mm -hmm. So there's a level of trust in the relationship that's being built every time that we talk. And I really sincerely appreciate that. Yeah. And from the very first time that you sit down and talk to him, you just see how genuine he is. And you see how straightforward he is and that there's no, his, his makeup is what it is, is what it sees. I mean, there's, there are no surprises along the way. Um, and you can see where it would be very, very effective, you know, when he's sitting down with a with a young man and his and his, and his mm -hmm. family or representatives, and you know, you figure out that there's a lot of substance to this to this guy's makeup. And so I've I, I've really, really enjoyed, and am still getting to know him uh, at this point in time. And and but the the product on the court, it's been fun to watch grow over the course of the last. Um, you know, month or so. So you've called, I don't even know, maybe you know, probably don't know, how many games you've called for Missouri Athletics. I mean, God, I mean, if you're just doing math, we have to be in the hundreds, clearly. it's a matter Well, I know this, that the Texas Bowl on December the 27th will be my 294th consecutive football game. Oh, my God. So going back to the start of the 94 season, and the only reason why I know that is... <clears throat> excuse me, prior to the trip to Orlando, or maybe during the trip to Orlando, Chris Gervino said to me, he said, how many games have you done for Missouri in, in, in football? 
and I haven't missed one since the very first game, my very first game in 1994, uh, when I was working with Kellen Winslow at the time. Um, so then I went back and looked, and yeah, it'll be 294 consecutive 294. games. 94. Yeah. So I've been very blessed, very lucky. And the basketball games clearly have to be many more than yeah, that. Yeah, who knows? I mean, you know, I, this is uh, 27 seasons of doing play-by-play, so 28 involved with the broadcast. So I don't know. I mean, you know, you figure 30, you know, about 30 games on average. During the November layover over the last several years, I've had to miss. You know, it used to be where, where basketball and football would schedule so you wouldn't have Com- yeah. competing games yeah. and not television dictates that you just can't do that yeah so there's some games that i have to miss uh this year i met i missed one of the the basketball games the game against st john's because i flew back to arkansas after doing um the long beach state game in orlando i mm-hmm. flew to arkansas and then flew back for the game against west virginia so i missed one game so far this year but you know there have been a handful of games you know over the course of the years i think three last year oh. because of the tournament but you know, at the end of the day, I'm just I'm a really, really lucky guy that that got an opportunity and uh, have been very, very thankful. I probably now, if we're doing the math, it is close to a thousand Missouri games. If we're, if we're talking close to 300 football games, and we're we're doing the math on basketball games, a yeah. thousand. I mean, that's something else. Is there is there a game, a moment, perhaps something that we won't wouldn't be aware of behind the scenes where you go, wow, that was un. Real. So here's something that I've been really steadfast and consistent in saying. I have always viewed college athletics in in through this lens. It's kids making plays. Um, Mr. Buck, and I've always called Jack that, Mr. Buck used to always say this, kid, you're going to call some great games. You're going to call some bad games. You're going to call some great teams. You're going to call some really bad teams. Call the play. Mm -hmm. Just call the play. And so I've tried to always keep that in the back of my mind is that just call the play. And so whether it be, you know, um, Lorenzo Williams sacking Todd Reesing in the end zone to seal the win or the very next season, Todd Reesing hitting Kerry Meyer, you know, late in the game to give Kansas the win or Tyus Edney's run to the basket in Boise, Idaho in 1995 or Wesley Stokes' little short jumper against the Billikens. Um, I've always tried to just allow the moment to dictate the enthusiasm and try to treat them both equally because I think that's what the listener wants. But there are a lot of moments. I mean, one that, that, that probably doesn't get talked about enough and I go back to John Cadillac, who who I loved and who I respected and who I enjoyed working with and who, I mean, the stories and the memories that I have will last me for the rest of my life. But Missouri's playing at Colorado in 1997. And if you remember, Missouri took possession of the football early in the fourth quarter, leading the game at about the, I think, 8 or 10-yard line and methodically drove the ball downfield with running play after running play after running play, not only getting first downs, taking time off the clock, forcing Colorado to burn timeouts and to the point where they drove it, I think, inside the 20-yard line, and Corby Jones took a knee and the game was over. And as that drive is unfolding, I look at this big, rugged, former offensive lineman for the University of Missouri who loved his program, who loved his institution. It was his university. It was his program. 
And Missouri is going to snap 13 consecutive years of losing football, and there are tears streaming down the face of John Cadillac. And that's something that I'll always remember. And and, and another moment where I saw that was when Missouri won uh, on New Year's Day at the old Cotton Bowl against Arkansas. And it was his program on that stage where he thought it should be succeeding in front of a national television audience. And so, um, yeah, so those are the type of things that you yeah. remember, too. I mean, yeah. yeah, but there are other things along the way. You remember the relationships. You remember the guys. You uh, you remember how kind people were to you along the way, uh, whether it be coaches or players. And, uh, you know, it's just it's really been fun to be a part of. It really has been. And it doesn't happen without going up to Jim Holder. And- How about that? Yeah. <laughs> well, cakes. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, think about that. Yeah. It's Joomer's Castle Lodge. <laughs> in, I don't know if it still stands in downtown Urbana, but yeah. uh, we'll put in a call. Mike, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. It's always great to see you. So there it is. Talking it over with Mike Kelly. It's one of those interviews where I, it's happened so many times. So I guess I just really consider myself fortunate that I get to sit here and uh, really my own curiosity is what uh, leads to the questions and and just hear these people tell their stories and also their memories from significant moments. And, uh, and Mike Kelly, uh, he's seen so much with Missouri athletics, both basketball and football, but with the athletic department as a whole over the last three decades. Uh, and I just couldn't have enjoyed that more. I thought what he had to say regarding uh, November 2015, which certainly was a signature moment in Missouri athletics history, was uh, really thought-provoking. And um, I always welcome people's feedback on our interviews. T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com, T-M-C-K-E-R-N-A-N at InsideSTL.com. And if you're just becoming familiar with the show, all of these interviews are there for you to listen. If you're a Missouri fan, uh, we sat in Gary Pinkle's kitchen a few months ago and talked for about 90 minutes, and that's up there for you. Uh, Cardinals fan, John Mazalak, uh, Derek Gould. Um, and if you're a St. Louis Blues fan, um, we've already been joined by Chris Kerber. And uh, coming soon, Keith Kachuk and uh, Blues owner, Tom Stillman. So, so much there for St. Louis area sports fans and then uh, St. Louis area uh, pe- people who've lived in the area for years. You know the names of Jack Danforth. You know the name of, uh, of Mike Bush. You know the name of Jay Randolph Sr. So, so many people who have been associated with the community have been on the show and they're all there for you. They are, as they say, evergreen interviews. So you can listen and they are not outdated. And, uh, and we encourage you to, if you could, Subscribe to the podcast, The Tim McKernan Show. Just search for it on iTunes, and the new episodes will uh, go downloaded to your phone. And if you could, leave a review. It helps the cause as well. But the main thing is support the sponsors. TheHomeLoanExpert.com, Ryan Kelly, James Carlton Agency, State Farm Insurance Agent, Gateway Buick GMC, and Triad Bank. We ask you to support our sponsors as we continue to bring you new content every week, a new interview every Monday, and a new questions from the audience every Thursday. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you to our videographer, Nick Yale. Thank you to executive producer, John Seymour. And thank you to you for listening. And thank you to our sponsors for supporting the program. I'm Tim McKernan, and this has been the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. 
Call it Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait, what rewards? A Dew Operator skin. Man, I love Operator skins. Dual double XP, and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. This Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. College duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and 320 and 23.